taken from Psalm 133. Well, it is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is with precious oil poured on, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now the, Hebrew, the Hebrews reading, I haven't noted down, that was one verse. Six? Eleven, six. Yes, I knew it was eleven, right. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. You're all very quiet. <laughs> Just breathe. Just breathe. Um, well, hey, look, it's uh, uh, just a blessing to be back, to enjoy your neighbourhood. Um, played lots of golf, um, been on lots of walks, played tennis, even checked out uh, Lake Tekapo and uh, um, the Auraki, uh, Auraki Mountain. So we've enjoyed our time here. Um, <coughs> it's always nice to be back in Geraldine. I think I was here um, about a year ago, and um, during the kind of tail end of COVID, which is still going. Yeah, interesting times. But I think it's interesting, interesting times for you as a church as well. Jesus loves his church. He laid down his life for her. He's coming back for her. And everything about God has always desired to, you know, Ephesians 3 verse 10, it was his intent that now through the church, that you and I, God has chosen to make his manifold wisdom known to who? To the rulers and the authorities, the principalities. And all of this to the praise of God, of Jesus, to Jesus Christ. So what God is wanting to do here on earth, he's wanting to do it through you. The advancement of God's kingdom is going to come out through the church. But it's a love relationship. It's not an obligation. It's not a, it's not a contractual thing. It's, it's a relationship where not only do we know him, you remember that old evangelist line, do you know Jesus? Do you remember that? For, for those, I remember years ago when Tanya was running the youth group, she did a project with the youth. By the way, this is not my preach, I'm just kind of warming up. Um, <coughs> so, so she took the, the youth group out to a mall in, Sil in Auckland called Sylvia Park. Huge thing. And it was this whole thing about teaching them to um, go and evangelise. And so they were to ask the question of anyone, do you know Jesus? And so our other son, Jacob, he sat down at, at the seat and he noticed that there was an Asian man sitting next to him. So plucking up the courage, he just turned to him and said, excuse me, do you know Jesus? And, the, and to which the Asian man said, yes, I do. And Jacob went, Whoo! 
I think those many of us are like that. But here's, the th- here's what I've noticed about many of Jesus' parables. It wasn't whether we knew him. Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Now there's a sobering thought. There's a very sobering thought. Does he know us? When was the last time you had a conversation with him where he spoke to you? His fresh manner, his fresh word. When was the last time? I want to speak on um, two keys that are vital for this church, for any church, for any couple, for any family. Facing challenges, facing projects, tasks. Two, vital, two foundational keys are necessary to embark on anything. And then I want to put it in a context because the context matters. Without the context, these two foundational keys would never work. <clears throat> the first one, which we heard in our reading from Psalm 133, is unity. It's as simple as that. Is our relationship with one another matters. It doesn't always mean that we will like each other. For goodness sake, the church is a She's a bride. She's the bride of Christ. She's woman. She's complicated. You know? She's complicated. She's beautiful. She is beautiful. And he loves her. And we don't always get on with one another. Even Paul and Barnabas had their little spat. And who were who the two ladies that Paul wrote about? He said, tell the two sisters, get on, you know, deal with your differences. Their names are forever etched in the Bible. Whoa. <laughs> For the wrong reasons. It doesn't mean that we'll always like each other, but we ought to respect one another. We ought to respect that, that God component in each other. And then you become to realize, you, you, you come to appreciate this, that we all have our idiosyncrasies. But there's something unique about that person that you, ah, that's why they are how they are. I remember a friend from our previous church um, in Papakura. She went to the Cook Islands for the first time. When she came back, she said, now I understand Paul. It's, it's like when you can, ah, oh, never mind. I better carry on. Unity. In Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, Elohim, in the beginning, God. But in the beginning, Elohim, the plurality um, uh, of God, not that there's many gods, but there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So right there in the beginning, God Father, God Son, God Spirit were working together. The omnipotent, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God, knowing what was ahead, creating timeline. Existing outside of timeline in eternity. Creating the beginning and the end. Being the beginning and the end. And everywhere in between, the ever-present one. The one who knew everything. Which is why scripture says that Jesus was crucified before the beginning of the world. Why? Not that he was crucified before the beginning of the world, but the omnipresent one was there when he was. You say, how does this work? It's the power of God. I mean, how is it that... God meets with Moses on the mountain, turns his head into a light bulb. A few decades later, God meets with Elijah on the mountain. The power of God comes down. 
A few hundred years later, thousands, it's like God takes Moses and takes Elijah and with Jesus on the mountain and the boys, he meets with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. The omnipresent God. And so in Genesis 1, in unity they created. In Genesis eleven six. God says this, and I've always thought this was a tremendous statement. Not because of what was said, but because of who said it. That, and so, you know, they're building their sky tower. They want to make a name for themselves. They don't want to spread out all over the world. They say, nah, let's just stay here, build a tower, make a name for ourselves. And then God had to come down. He saw what they were doing. And it was what God said. It just totally blows me away. The one with whom nothing is impossible says, if as one people, unity, speaking the same language, seeing the same thing, you can do this, then nothing is impossible with you. That is a huge statement. You know, it's a bit like, like I, I like rugby. But if I was to turn up to the Geraldine uh, Rugby Boys Club and say, oh, gee, you guys are good, man. You could be all blacks one day if you just keep it that. They'll say, oh, geez, bro, but uh, who are you? You know? But if the All Blacks coach turned up on that same field, said the same thing that I said to the same boys, suddenly the impact is profound. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so here is God Almighty, with whom nothing is impossible, and he's speaking to a people who are united in what they can see in their language and in their vision. And he says to them, if there's one people, you can do that. Nothing is impossible. It's a huge statement. Unity is key. And then also in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the Holy Spirit came down, they were there in one accord, the scripture says. They were there with one mind, one accord, and as one person. They understood the same thing. They were there for Jesus. They had encountered him. They'd encountered his miracles. They saw him rise from the dead. He was their focus. Nothing else. They were giving themselves to this. And as one accord, in one accord, they met. And Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them. And it's never been the same since. Unity is key in whatever you're doing. The second key is this. So I, what I want to do is I just want to share these keys and then I want to tell you some stories. And then I want to finish with the context. So the first key is unity. You want to embark on anything. Any building project, any venture, any faith venture, any crises that you come across, unity is key. The second key is faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's interesting when you think about it. Because the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, many say it's Paul, but he didn't say without prayer. It's impossible to please God. But coming to pray on Tuesday, brilliant. Meet with the king. Listen to him. Hear what he has to say to you. Hear what, he, hear what the king wants to do through this part of his body. In this, what do we call this? Town? Region? This area? This city? <laughs> this island? is my island. But he said, without faith, it's impossible. And how does faith come? 
church, how does faith come? By hearing the word. And it's, um, there's another translation, because they're hearing the word of God, it's the word rema. So it's like, by hearing the freshly spoken word of God, not the word that he spoke 20 years ago, not the word as, as precious as this is. It's not hearing the word that the pastor preached or the preacher preached. It's you hearing what God has spoken to you. That freshly spoken word. When Jesus was tempted, when his identity was attacked, hey, if you are the son of God, turn this, uh, the stone into bread, he never addressed the issue of his identity as a son because there was nothing to address. He knew who he was. He only addressed the issue of the bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from where? His mouth. His mouth. Not the preacher's mouth. Not your friends who are trying to encourage. Not their mouth. As great and as good as that is. And not even words that were inscribed. And as, 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 this is vital, by the way. I believe in this with all my heart. It's the most precious book. But you've got to hear God for yourself. So when you come on Tuesday to pray, please don't just bring your, your shopping list, but bring your ears. Father, what do you want to say? Jesus, you paid for us. We're bought by your blood. We are your bride. We're a part of your body. We're here as your ambassadors. We're representing your kingdom. What do you want to bring here in Geraldine and in this region? Think like that. So the two keys that are necessary is unity and faith. Faith is our relationship the vertical way. Unity is our relationship this way. We will forever offend people. Sometimes without even trying. You know, you say something, you didn't even know. You offended somebody. You weren't even trying. You didn't even think about it. You're so good at it. You didn't even think about it. It's woo! And they're offended. Not because of your intention, but because of the way they heard it. But when that happens, what do you do with your offense? Do you hide it? Do you sort of, okay, I'm never going to talk to them again. I'll tell you, my personal one, years ago, this happened with um, a couple that we love very, very much. Bruce and Teresa Benj. And one day, one holiday, we were holidaying with them at their beach in uh, Simpsons Bay in Pitianga. And anyway, so we're having a barbie, <coughs> and we had some other friends come over, and Bruce is on the barbecue, and I'm getting the onions ready, because men like onions. And I'm getting the onions ready, and I'm chopping up the onions, and like, there's heaps of us, so I'm thinking, more onions. Now I'm looking at this, oh, there's heaps of us, more onions. And then Teresa comes over, and she says, no, no, oh, I, I should pack this. Just in case you didn't notice, I'm brown. Bruce and Teresa, they're papa'a, pakia. The other family that came, they're pakia as well. And so, you know, you've got pakia and you've got chocolate. <laughs> and anyway, so I'm chopping up all these onions. And then Teresa comes over with, with Faith, who's the other a friend of ours, um, the mum, and she looks at all these onions and says, Paul, there's so many onions. I said, yeah, well, we like onions. And uh, she turns to Faith and she said, well, we would never do that. Now, I heard that through the lens of colour. 
I heard that through the lens of color, but that's not what she meant. I heard it through the lens of color. Oh, what? You too good for my onions. <laughs> you know? So what? Don't you like brown people cutting your onions? I heard it through that lens. Anyway, I didn't realize how that had cut me. Didn't realize it at the time, but, oh, what do you mean, Teresa? And we are close, close, close friends with Bruce and Teresa. Anyway, a month goes past and somebody mentions Teresa and there's this little, oh. But I'm thinking to myself, nah, that's of the enemy. Just like rebuke it, you know. She doesn't, she doesn't think like that, just rebuke the thought. And then a few months later, uh, somebody mentions her name and there's that little wound again. But now the wound is kind of getting a little bit bigger. And I'm like having to now pray and thinking, why am I feeling this way? No, she, she loves me. We're good friends. Nine months, no, 11 months later. 11 months later. Now, this wound is growing in me, but I never address it to her. Never. 11 months later. See, something happens when there's a relational rift. The body language changes. You know what I mean? The body language changes. It's just like, you know, you're in the room. Oh. <laughs> you know, you just notice those little signs. And when you've known people for decades, those signs are even more pronounced. And we were in a staff meeting. You know, good, good old Christians meet together but still have angsts with one another. And we're in the staff meeting, and then Teresa looks at me, she says, Paul, do we need to talk? I said, yeah, we do. We do need to talk. So I went across the park and she says, I said, Teresa, remember that time we were on holiday? And you said that thing about the onions? She goes, oh, Paul, no, I meant we as ladies would never cut that much onions. <laughs> Unity is key. What you do with your offences matters. You'll either fester or you can address it. And by addressing it, you strengthen the relationship. See, for if we walk in the light just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.7 But when you hide what you've got, that separates us. Unity is key. Faith is key too. Because I've come to learn this. God doesn't have to bless what you and I are doing. He doesn't have to. And on most times, he chooses to remain still. He won't bless what you and I are doing. But he will open up heaven's resources to back what he's doing. And so when you and I are doing what God has called us to do, we have all of heaven's resources available to us. We may not have much in our bank accounts, but all of heaven's resources are there. He backs what he's doing when we are doing what, he, what he's called us to do. When we're doing our own thing, he does, not have to, he does not have to provide. Do you understand what I'm saying? So faith and unity. So here's a few stories. And then I'll give a context to faith and unity. Tanya and I have many, 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 many stories. And quite often I've noticed that a lot of the stories have to do with um, steps of faith and, and projects or assets. So 
and I'm not, I'm not wanting to boast in this, but I am wanting to illustrate the necessity for unity, for hearing God, and what God can do. So when we move, see, um, obviously I grew up with my parents, lived with my parents, met Tanya, we were living with my parents. But then I got to meet Christ, absolutely changed my world. It was like everything came alive. It was like, you know, I, I grew up wanting to be a tough guy. And I did, it, was, it was because of the neighborhood we lived in. We had, we had seven uh, gangs in our street alone. We had the Munger Mob, we had the Black Power, we had the Stormtroopers, we had the Headhunters. We even had a gang called the Bait Street Bums. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so there was always violence. And so I kind of grew up thinking, man, you've got to be tough if you're going to survive in this world. So I always wanted to be tough. Never suited my nature, though. And so when I got saved, it was like, man, those, those flowers look pretty. Hey, man, those flowers are pretty. <laughs> you know, everything changed. Um, <clears throat> and our first flat, I remember Tanya and I were walking down a particular street, Settlement Road, and it was kind of in the evening, and we just heard about some friends of ours who had moved out of a flat. And I said to Tanya, man, wouldn't it be nice to move into our own place? And it was at a time where I took a step of faith and enrolled into a discipleship course for two months at First Presbyterian Church under the leadership of John Bolsham. And uh, I took the step of faith of not going on the dole. Because everyone else that had gone there, they, they got the doll, so they had some income. There was Tanya and I and our eldest son, Cody. And someone, said, someone challenged me and said, Paul, live by faith. To live by faith meant I had no income. And so if, during that two-month uh, uh, period, I took, the, I took the step of faith and didn't apply for the doll. Well, actually, no, that's not quite true. I did apply for the doll. I got a letter saying, sorry, you don't qualify. So I thought, well, that's a sign. I meant to live by faith. And then the very next day, I get another letter from them saying, actually, you do, you do qualify. Please come into the office so you can get your doll. And I thought, no, I won't. I'll live by faith. And so for two months, no income. And by the grace of my parents, didn't have to pay any board either. <laughs> Thank you to all those parents who look after us kids. Thank you. And a week after, I think a week or two weeks after, Tanya and I had that walk and I made that comment. Her and I were just talking and we kind of smiled at that comment. Wouldn't it be nice if we had our own place? We moved into the very flat that our friends moved out of. Paid no bond, paid no rent for two months, paid no power. And so for two months, the three of us, Tanya and I and our oldest son, Cody, living by faith, that we had no money coming in. We had literally no money coming in. And for two months, every week, without fail, God provided $100 every single week. We didn't promote our situation. We didn't tell people about what we were going through. We just trusted God. And he heard. Like, we weren't even praying. We were just walking and talking. And, and like, like the road to Emmaus, you know, where he was just walking with their couple, he heard our conversation and he moved. The very first house that we bought. You see, you've got to understand, <coughs> before I got saved, this was my spending habit. Get paid Thursday, broke Friday. <laughs> that was it. That was the extent of my financial prowess. 
But then when you get saved, and you know, you, you come to realize that responsibility is a necessity for good character. You begin to grow in the things of God. You have a family. Well, to learn how to budget. We couldn't save. We began to pray, and, and, and you know, we, we wanted the Lord, we wanted a house. And one day Tani said to me, you know, Paul, it's okay, God said he's going to provide a house. And I said to Tani, they said, that's good for you because the Lord said that to you, but he hasn't said anything to me yet. So I, I need to hear. And so while I'm not hearing, and she's heard the word, I'm thinking, well, let's be practical. Be good to have a deposit. So we, we saved as best we could. I'll tell you how much we saved a week. Because it's all that we could afford. Seriously. $10 a week. We thought if we saved $10 a week. You know how much $10 a week is over a year? $520. How many decades do you think we have to wait to get a deposit? And that was... And, and, but then all... One flat tire, boom, the money's gone. Savings gone. You know, visit to the doctors, boom, money's gone. So we, we couldn't afford. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Paul, I'm going to give you a house. Suddenly, I had faith. And I said, Tanya, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, he's going to give us a house. And now we're praying together in unity because we've both heard. And then on the day, uh, just kind of long story short, the Lord gave us $330,000 to buy a house. Literally gave it. Didn't win the lotto or anything. Family members didn't win the lotto. The Lord gave us $330,000. If you want to know the details, I can tell you later. But we didn't even have the money to pay for a lawyer. And one of the requirements was that we would have to pay for a lawyer. So I rang a friend of mine who I used to work in the same office as him, who was a lawyer, and I, and I wanted him to be our lawyer and see if he could help me. You know, we could do part payments. I rang him and I said, hey, Scott, it's me, Paul. I said, hey, Paul, I've just been thinking about you, just praying about you. I said, oh, okay, what have you been praying about? And he said this, I was praying to the Lord. I've been praying to the Lord for the last two weeks. He said, and he said, I said, Lord, if there's any way that I can help these guys get into a house, I would love that. I said, well, actually, Scott, that's why I'm ringing. I said, I need a lawyer to represent us because we just bought a house. He charged us nothing. God gave us the money for the house and he gave us the lawyer that we didn't have to pay for. But unity here, hearing what God said to us, he provided it all. Okay, that one's not going to amaze you. Um, let me tell you about a building project. So at our, our, at our not, not the church we're in now, but at our previous church at the gate, we had a building project that uh, was going to cost us about $2.6 million. We're a small church of about 150 people, maybe um, a little bit smaller, about the same size as this church here. But we're also from Papakura. Uh, to put it in context, we've got some that are wealthy, and then we've got the gangsters. And so the, the, the medium uh, average income, not so good. Um, so our social demographic isn't that great. We've got about 150 people in the church. $2.6 million building project. But we felt the Lord say that what we were doing, we needed to step into this. And it was a huge step of faith. And as an eldership team, we prayed. And we felt the Lord said, yes, this is what we've got to do. We took steps of faith. And I remember one time, 
We bought a building for a million dollars. 150 people. Bought a, million, uh, build, a building for a million dollars. It was, um, it was just a, a warehouse. It had nothing in it, no insulation. It was like a freezer in winter. It was an oven in summer. And I remember we um, had the contractors come in and they gave us a price and we needed to have a deposit of $300,000. And they'd already, and the contractors had already started doing the renovations. And the contractor came to me and said, Paul, we've already started this contract, this job, and we've already spent over $100,000 and you guys haven't signed the contract yet. And I said, you're right, we haven't. That's not honourable on our part. So I sent a message to our eldership team. I said, hey guys, They've already started. If I spent over $100,000, I'm going to sign. One of the elders emails me back and he says, Paul, have we got the $300,000 that we need? I didn't reply to him. Not because I was sort of being sneaky, but you have to leave room for God to move. So it's better not to say anything. To be honest, we had something like $20,000 in our bank account at that time. Now, that's not too bad, to be honest. I know it's nowhere near 300000 but you want to hear a friend of mine, his story. They needed $200,000 in two weeks. They had 58 cents in their bank account. <laughs> their building project is finished, completed. We needed $300,000 in our bank account in three weeks. We had $20,000. Uh, I, I sent the email, and then Tanya and I flew off to, to Sydney for a conference there. While we're in Sydney, the opportunity was given to share a testimony of God's provision. And I felt the stir of God in my heart in that conference. So I walked forward and, and I shared the testimony of how God provided for Tanya and I and our house to that conference. Revelations 19 verse 10 says this, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you're testifying to what Jesus has already done, then you're also prophesying that he would do it again. And I'm feeling to, to share these stories with you guys because there's something about what you're doing that needs to be beyond the natural. It needs to be supernatural. It needs to be in faith because if you can do it on your own, where's faith in it? Faith is not required because you can do it on your own. <laughs> I may not ever be allowed back here, Alistair. Hey, so... <laughs> <coughs> I'm not trying to rebuke, I'm just wanting to stir us up back in faith. Because without faith, you cannot please God. If you can do your projects on your own, then where's God in it? So anyway, I share this testimony of how God provided for Tanya and I. I come back, we come back from there, it was a week course, and we got two more weeks and we need that 300,000. One week later, I get a phone call in my office. Someone is donating us. $300,000. He knows nothing of that story. He donated $300,000. I want to tell you, you cannot outdo God when you are doing what he's uh, uh, called you to do. Yes, at times, it can be scary, but take courage in this. When he's called you, he's with you. You have nothing to fear. He is with you. Yes, you know, the mountains may come, but don't fear the mountain. Stay the course to the one who's called you. And so, within 12 months at the gate, 
we completed our building project, $2.6 million. And at that time, we had a church membership of about 60 people, and we completed it. A brand new building. The flashes as kitchen. Flashes as, that's like slang for wow. <laughs> God is faithful. You can't outdo him. Faith and unity. There was unity in our eldership team. When, 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 when Tani and I moved to... Oh, sorry, that's, so in 2013, I think it was October 2013, the building project at the gate was completed. We moved in and we celebrated. It was a tough time, but we celebrated. It was tough because during that time, there was a lot of people that left Auckland because Auckland was so expensive to live in, still is. And they moved to other areas. And so we lost about five families. You know what that does to your pocket when you lose five families. And then on top of that, we lost four more people who died of cancer. You try stirring up faith that even though people are dying from cancer, we will still contend to believe that God can heal because we know it. His word doesn't change. So it was a tough time in regards to that. But within a period of 12 months, our building project was completed with $20,000 in our, <laughs> in our bank account. It was crazy. When we moved to, to Rarotonga, Actually, I'll tell you the story. It's not on here, but I'll tell you the story. When we moved to Rarotonga, it was difficult for Tani and I because we were leaving our kids. That was the hardest. We were leaving our grandkids behind. That was the hardest. And then we heard one of our grandchildren said, oh, doesn't Nan and Papa love us anymore? Why are they moving away? That's hard. That's tough. And so we moved there in December 2015. And then I think it was about May or June um, in 2016, I got the message from my sister that my mother had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and that it made its way up her spine and it's in other parts of her body and she's not going to make it. And like we were living by faith. We didn't have the money to be able to just drop everything and go to Melbourne and go and be with her. But I said to Tanya, you know, hun, if my mum passes, I know where she's going. We've only just made it here to Rarotong and God's called us to do a great work here. Let's stay the course. And, she, and when she passes away, I'll go over then. We had a friend come over to, to, to minister and speak where we were. And he spoke on healing. And he said, if there are people that want to stand in proxy on behalf of others who are sick, come and stand on their behalf. Ted stands up. Ted gets up and he stands on behalf of his grandmother. And he's standing there, you know, kind of Ted-like. Um, and my friend is going down the road and he's praying for people. And when he comes to Ted, he says, we rebuke any terminal diseases of this person, any cancerous cells, and he moves on. And I said, Ted, Ted, did you hear that? Did you hear what he prayed? Did you hear what he prayed for over you? <laughs> he was focused on his grandmother. He was focused on his grandmother. A couple of days later, one day, uh, we had this prayer session the night after. A couple of days later, I get a message from my sister, and she says, OMG, I cannot, she's, something like, I don't know how to explain this, but the doctors, the cancer cells that the doctors found a couple of weeks ago, 
They can't find it. It's not there. All the ones that were up her spine and in other parts, it's all gone. All gone. And so I message her back and I tell her about the faith step that her nephew took on behalf of our mother. And she was healed. She was healed. Oh, you're a tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> Too late. The moment's gone. You missed it. You guys missed your moment. The moment's gone. We moved to Raro. So we're in Raro. And I'm saying to Tanya, you know, um, I think we're going to need... So we had our car with her. We took our car with us. I said to Tanya, I think we're going to need a truck. Because if we're going to take young people, we're going to need a truck. Because in Raro, back in the old days, shove them at the back in the ute, you know. You can pile about 16 people on there. Easy. That's us. So I said to Tanya, I think we're going to need a truck, a ute. So we started praying. And in my heart of hearts, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, Lord, you know, maybe you can hook us up with a nice deal and we'll, um, you know, hire purchase a, a second-hand truck. If we can do that, that would be great. Lord, so, God, thank you so much. And we're praying about this for a few months. And one time when I was walking in town in Rarotonga, the Lord spoke this to me while I was walking. He said, ask me for a new one. <laughs> ask me for a new one. God, can I have a verse for that? Just so I'm, you know, just to make sure. Can I have a verse for that? And so he took me to John 14. Hang on, I'm going to read this. He took me to John chapter 14. I said, Lord, can I have a verse for that? He showed me this. In John 14. I tell you the truth. John 14, start of verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I thought, wow. God, can I have a brand new truck, please? Can I have a brand new truck? So this was in about August. Lord, thank you for the brand new truck. Thank you. And at the end of September, I won't bore you with the story, but at the end of September... Someone gave to us a brand new 2016 Holden Colorado and they even paid for it to be sent over to Rarotonga. And it arrived about the end of September. Ted's birthday is on October the 4th. He said, Dad, thank you very much for my birthday present. <laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> you can't outgive God. By the way, when we moved to Rarotonga, we only took $3,000 with us. We wanted to leave all our assets here because we, yeah, we wanted to leave our assets here. We didn't take anything over with us. And so there was a period of a couple of months where we literally lived by faith. We had no income. But we've been there before and we know that God is good. God is faithful. And the Lord does this. We had a building project. Can you go one more story and then I'll go to the context. I won't... Uh, Hold you guys up any longer. <clears throat> so we got a new, uh, we lead a church in Rarotonga, and some of you have been there. Is Kevin in the house? No, the other way. Because there was a team that came over, and they built the greenhouse, and Alistair came over with them as well. We still have the greenhouse. We've just moved it uh, over a little bit, and we've done more renovations. The place looks completely different to when you last came, Alistair. 
we went away on an um, eldership retreat. I just felt like we needed to pull the elders away. We needed to just have some time, a weekend together of praying and just seeking the Lord together as a leadership team, as an eldership team. And so uh, we went to Aitutaki for our eldership retreat. I tell you, man, it's a tough, it's a tough call, but somebody's got to do it. So we went to Aitutaki. Um, we had an amazing time, though, you know, just friendships developing um, and praying together and going a little bit deeper. And, and on the last day, we talked about a building project, and we just began to get stirred about uh, what the Lord had said in the past and what the Lord was wanting to do today. And our eldest, the eldest elder, who at that stage was 80, he said, build new. He said, I feel the Lord say, build new. It has to be new. Everything has to be new. And from that eldership retreat, as an eldership team, as an eldership team, we became united on what the Lord was calling us to do, a building project. And we had a, we had a small church back then, you know, we might have been about 40, 50 at that stage. Um, when we first joined, it was like 20, 30. And so it could have been about 40, 50 at that stage. But we, we heard what the Lord said. And so we, began, we came back and we began to share the vision with the church of what the Lord said. And we worked towards this. And during uh, COVID in 2020, we filed our application. We were successful in getting a loan. In 2021, still in COVID, we completed our renovation that cost us half a million dollars of a church of less than 100 people. And we rejoiced in it. We didn't see the tag, the price tag. We rejoiced in what God was doing. And God blessed us through it. The whole project, it's, it's, it's now completed. If there's anything I've found about these big projects, faith and unity is key. You've got to hear what the Lord's saying to you, and there's got to be unity amongst you. For couples, there's got to be unity amongst husband and wife. And at times, uh, men, when your wife doesn't see what you see, you may need to just wait and be a little bit patient. And women, when your husband doesn't hear you because he's got his other ears on, you may need to pray. But until there's unity here, don't start on anything because you're not in sync with each other. Unity is key. Faith is key in terms of hearing the Lord. When you are then on... Could I ask um, the elders who are here, could you please stand? Could I ask the elders to stand? Am I correct in assuming that there are probably others here, uh, others on the eldership team who are not here this morning? Okay. It is key, elders, that when you lead the church, I, I'm not too sure what your theology is or what your doctrine is, but this is what I've learned about being an elder. I became an elder at 22 at Rosal Presbyterian Church. I was ordained as an elder um, and have, have been in that role. It's been a calling. But I've always, um, I've come to appreciate that as elders, you are overseers. These are the terminologies that the scriptures use. You're overseers. You're bishops, episkopos. Um, even the word pastor fits under that term as elder. It's all the same role. Different terminologies for the same function. You're shepherds. You're shepherds. You're shepherds of this house. And as shepherds, your role, I believe, is 
having been in ministry, full-time ministry, for over 35 years, and still looking good. <laughs> sorry. I know. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In 35 years, I shouldn't have gone there. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I believe your, your responsibility, your role is this. It's doctrine. Know your doctrine because you're feeding the people with your doctrine, with your words. You're feeding them. Uh, you're responsible for direction in terms of leading them. That's what shepherds do. Lead the people into vision. Lead the people into what God has called this house to do. Lead the people in terms of, in terms of doctrine. You're also responsible uh, in regards to discipleship, making disciples. You're not just here to gather people on a Sunday morning and give them their nice, woolly, fluffy 45-minute, and then off they go again. No, you're here to disciple them. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Teach them. Baptize them, yes, but then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's your responsibility. And the fourth one, I believe, is dollars. Because there's responsibility there. When you think about the Bible has more references to finances than any other subject, you're responsible for those, in those four areas. Your doctrine, what you feed the people. Direction, where you lead the people. Discipleship, how you grow the people. And dollars, the resources that are going to be needed to carry out the work of God from this house into the nations. So the Lord bless you guys. You may be seated. <clears throat> but unity amongst you as elders is key in terms of any project that you do. And I've learned this. If you're not on the same page, don't rush it. Just wait. Trust God in the process. Trust Him in the process. So here's the context. So the two foundational keys for achieving, accomplishing anything in God, even overcoming challenges... So when I was sick in 2017, battling that terrible disease called cancer, Tanya and I were on the same page. So this is what we did. Um, we, we began to communicate with our friends around the world, just asking them to pray. We communicated with them and kept them up to date with what was happening as well. Uh, every time somebody had a scripture, we would write that scripture down, pass it on the wall, and we would pray into that. Every prayer that people prayed, we put it up on the wall, and we will thank God for it. But here's a position that, that I personally took very early in the piece. I believe it's 1 Timothy 1.18, or if it's not 1 Timothy, it's 2 Timothy 1.18, where, where Paul says to Timothy, um, recall the prophetic words that were spoken over you. Recall that freshly spoken word that was spoken over you. Recall the prophetic words that were spoken over you so that by them you can fight the good fight. And I recalled all the prophetic words that were spoken over Tani and I. You're called to the Cook Islands. You're called to your own people. God's calling you back there to do a great work. I recalled it all. I remember the conversation, the time when I was walking through one of the outer islands in the Cook Islands, and the Lord spoke to me in, December, in January 1997, and he said to me, I'm, I'm calling you back here to do a great work. I recounted all those prophetic words. And then I realized this. Ah, this cancer's not going to kill me. I'm not going to die. Let's get on with it so I can go back home. Whatever it is. Kimo, okay, bring it on. I just need to get home. It's not going to kill me. I may have a rough ride, but I'm not dying. And so it shifted our attitude. And so we respected what the doctors said. 
And they came in with their diagnosis because they've studied this stuff. They know this stuff. We respected them for what they said. We just chose not to receive it. There's a difference. We're respecting them for what they've sacrificed to be where they are. But they don't know everything. They don't know everything. They're not the ones who made us. And they don't know everything about us. So we chose not to receive it. And after nine months of that battle, I've been clear ever since. Put on a bit of weight. Put on... Well done. You're quick learners. You're quick learners. Here's the context then of unity and faith. Because there's a con- even when the Lord said to me, ask me for a new one, there's a context for um, John 14. See, here's the context for faith and unity. In Luke 1, Gabriel visits Mary and tells her she's going to have a baby. And she, her response was, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? And he says to her that God's Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will overshadow you and you will have be pregnant with a child and he'll be called the son of the most high. And then Gabriel says this in verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible. You know that word nothing? It's a compound word. Two words put together. There's no, and, and the, the translation is no, but the word thing is translated rima. Rima. So no rima word is impossible with God. No freshly spoken word is impossible with God. Uh, what's his name? Jack Taylor says this. He puts it this way. He said, you can translate that verse to mean this. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. Let me say that again. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. Bear with me for just a few more minutes. You're busy, my love. Um, Could you please take one of these seeds and pass it on so that every person will have in their hand a seed? Just take one and pass it on. Or if you can... And just hold the seed in your hand. And let me try and unpackage what Jack has just said. And let me bring this to a close in terms of the context in which unity and faith becomes the foundational keys to achieve anything in God. All that he's called us to do. And God calls us to do things that are far beyond our own means. Far beyond our own capability. Because if they were within our means, then you wouldn't need God. And the whole, I I believe this, the whole objective of this on God's part is that you and I would endeavor to be in his projects that causes us to trust him. Where we are almost forced to trust him because there's nowhere else to go. The Israelites, you know, the, the Pharaoh and his boys are chasing them. They're hemmed in by all these mountains. There's only one way in, no way out. 
these mountains, they can't run away, and there's an ocean in front of them. How do they get across? Be still and just trust God. <coughs> Does everyone have a seed or corn? I can't pull you a tough crowd. Raise your hand if you've got a corn. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm going to read the words of Jesus because, just because, he's Lord and his words are life, they're everything. Here's the context. Faith and unity in God can accomplish anything. Faith, our relationship this way, unity, our relationship this way. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about anything. Do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. Or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Yes, you are. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? How the look at it, see how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows, Dad knows, you need them. Ask me for a new one. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. The context for being able to achieve anything in God, the two key foundations, foundational keys are unity and faith. But the context of it is seeking first the kingdom of God. It's doing God's will. It's doing God's will. Do we have any more of those seeds? Doing what the Lord's asked you to do. You're not, can I be so, I am, I'm, I'm going to, I was going to say, can I be so bold as to say so? I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, we leave on Tuesday, so. You're not called just to be here to be another church. You're called here to be his ambassadors. You're called here to represent a different government, a different kingdom. You're, you're actually here to represent a different world. 
that God's world, God's kingdom, thy kingdom, thy will come, thy will be done. You're here to, you're not here to fit in. You're here to influence. Bring his world into this world. So going back to Jack's comment and the illustration of this. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. You have in your hand a kernel. It's also a seed. It'll grow. This will grow on its own, irregardless of what you do with it. But this is what I've learned too about God. Is God wants to do things through his body. And who is it? I think Augustine, Alistair, you probably know you much brighter. Um, it was Augustine who said, uh, without God we can't, but without us God won't. God's chosen to do what he's going to do through the church, Ephesians 3.10. So he's going to do it through you and I. And God's word is spoken, it's like a kernel, it's like a seed. And the, the, the word in itself contains its own ability to perform itself. Like this kernel can grow with or without you and I. But there's a part that you and I play in this, in what we do with this. If you put this in your pocket, if you throw it in the bin, it will never grow. But if you plant it and nurture it, it will grow. Did you ever stop to think that that star on Israel's flag could have been called the Star of Saul? It could have been. Did you ever stop to think that that city could have been called the City of Saul? Or that Jesus could have been called the Son of Saul? Because Saul was God's choice. God's word was, Saul is the man I've chosen. That was his word. But for whatever reason, Saul couldn't accept it. His insecurities, I don't know. A whole lot of reasons here. His insecurities, his past, didn't believe in himself. I'm not worthy. All those reasons. And he couldn't trust God. And a young shepherd boy, under the same conditions, under the same, same yeah, conditions, he took a hold of that word. And David was anointed by Samuel, just as Saul was anointed by Samuel. David received it, trusted the Lord in it, and it grew. And he became the son of, he became David, King David. And the star is named after him, the city is named after him. Christ is referred to as his son. What you do with the word of God will determine whether it grows or not. But here's the greater what you do with the Word of God determines whether you are involved with what God is doing or not. You have a part to play in it. The choice is yours. You choose what you want to do. You choose. You are most definitely not called here to be at another church. You are His bride. You are his body. And I'll finish by saying this. You cannot seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness without first of all seeking the king. In seeking the king, you will hear his voice. You'll have interaction with him. And on that glorious day when he comes back, he says, Ah, Paul, I know you. 
because of their interactive relationship here on earth. It will be so also in heaven. You decide what you're going to do with this, not this, not, you know, not the corn. You're going to get a corn out of this. Buy some from Fresh Choice. But you decide what you're going to do with the Word of God. And the future will determine whether you're a part of it or not. Just like a determined Saul, a distinguished Saul from David. Can I ask the worship team to come up? There might be some relational, some relational issues that maybe you're walking through that even as I've spoken, you thought, mm, yeah, that person. Yeah, that person. All I want to say is this in regards to that. Deal with it. Don't run away from it. Address it. Because if you walk in the light just as he is in the light, then addressing it will actually bring fellowship. Bring fellowship. And then the blood of Christ Jesus will cleanse you of all of that. I thought it was amazing too that, you know, the, the, the guy that was crippled and his four mates brought him, made a hole in somebody's roof, put him down. And Jesus addressed the core issue. He didn't address the sickness. He addressed the core issue. He said, your sins are forgiven. And in the sins being forgiven, he could walk again. Well, maybe sometimes our resentment and our bitterness and our unforgiveness of other people can be the very sicknesses that are holding us back. Deal with it. Forgive. If they don't know that you've offended them, by the way, you can just quietly play. If they don't know that you've offended them, then go, don't go and see them, but go and see the Lord. But if it festers some more, then maybe you should go and see them. And secondly, as you come to pray, not only on Tuesday, but as you come to the Lord to pray every day, hear His freshly spoken word. And then do something with it. God doesn't speak just to make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. He speaks to you to give you a task to do. He speaks to you to give you a task to do. We're going to close off by singing the song, and once the song is finished, I'm just going to close in prayer. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing this together. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all thy works. <laughs>